The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So what happened to you about 16 years ago, your life was turned upside down. And you are the perfect person to come on the podcast and talk about this. It's called not ignoring the red flags. I found myself literally awakening one day to the news media um, that there were these accusations against my ex-husband. He had been accused of sexual assault, a subject that is very difficult to talk about. Right. I'm on a journey to discover, uncover, and recover love. Now, as a national playwright, I've penned dozens of shows about relationships. As a filmmaker, I've documented the most beautiful committal of lovers at weddings. And as a divorcee, I know firsthand the brevity of marriage and the pain of its loss. I'm the Terrasaur with you, and welcome to the Dear Future Wifey Podcast. Welcome to the Dear Future Wifey Podcast. I'm your host, the Terrasaur Whitfield. I'm so excited to talk about this subject matter. And my guest today knows all too well what happens when you ignore this particular thing when you're looking and searching for the one. So without further ado, welcome to the Dear Future Wifey Podcast, my good buddy, Renee Fowler Hornbuckle. Well, hello, Latarius. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Man, Renee, Renee, Renee. Ready to get to work? Yeah, man, I'm so excited to actually have this conversation. You and I have talked about this uh, several months ago, and so you you decided to finally bless my podcast with your presence, and I definitely don't take that for granted. Now, are you ready to keep it lit? Okay, so what does lit mean? Okay, lit means, <laughs> so on the Dear Future Wifey podcast, lit, we coined it as living intentionally and transparently. Okay, well, let's and, go. And, and we know that you've been through some things in your life. Uh, you have overcome a lot, and you're still standing uh, with a smile on your face and preaching the word of God. And, you know, I just, like when I met you, I was like, you know what? You don't, you don't look like what you've been through. Well, in my opinion, that's really how it's supposed to be, especially if you call yourself a believer, because we know how to get through things. Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly, we're supposed to know how to get through things. But Suppo- you find out what you're made of when you go through it. <laughs> so what happened to you about 16 years ago, your life was turned upside down. And you are the perfect person to come on the podcast and talk about this. It's called not ignoring the red flags. Right? You got it. And so without me telling your story. What happened 16 years ago that just turned your life upside down? Well, I like to say it this way. I lost uh, my marriage, my ministry as we knew it, and my money. And what happened was... So you call that the three M's? Well, you know what? (laughs) I think I'm going to coin that right there. I like that. The three M's. Marriage, (laughs) ministry, and money. (laughs) Anyway, my life, my children's life, and those that we were connected to, our life just collapsed. It, It 
it imploded, if you will, all based on the choice and decision of just one person. And that one person was my now ex-husband. And I found myself literally awakening one day to the news media um, that there were these accusations against my ex-husband. And um, it just brought our world, you know, crashing down. And uh, he had been accused of sexual assault, a subject that is very difficult to talk about. Right. But we have to talk about it because it's the reality, you know, of the world. I, I, I say all the time that, you know, so many people in life are connected to one person that makes that devastating choice and decision that doesn't just affect them, but it affects everybody connected to them. Totally. And so for me, uh, that's what that thing that I didn't want to talk about was. And he ultimately was convicted of sexual assault, um, incarcerated. And so as my life began to shift, I went from, again, losing those three M's to really going from being a prosperous wife to being a prison wife to being an ex-wife, being divorced, becoming a single mom with no child support and no alimony because I had an ex that was incarcerated. Uh, I went to being that mama bear that had to protect my kids because everybody now said they were going to end up statistics. So that brought something different out in me. Like, you know, no, I'm not becoming a statistic. Yes, Uh, My kids are not becoming a statistic, but it, it, it shattered our ministry. The Bible says you strike the head, the sheep is scattered. Yes. And there's not a day that goes by even today, years later, 16 years later, that I don't stop and think and pray about the positive impact that we were making. And I look at the lives that were just shattered based yeah. on one person's choice. So I really challenge people to think about everything that they do because one wrong decision can forever affect your destiny. And not just you personally, but everybody else around. Yeah, yeah. So when you look back, uh, you and I had a phone conversation and where you were extremely transparent and letting me know that um, that there were signs at the very beginning. I say oftentimes we ignore those signs at the very beginning. Uh, we had an episode um, a couple of weeks ago called Wickedness versus Weakness. And sometimes we may look at certain idiosyncrasies that people have as a weakness when we actually find out that it's just pure wickedness. Um, So what did you experience in the dating while you were dating your ex-husband that was a sign? Well, if I can, I'd I'd like to even go back to college because I dated a young man who was a baller in college that displayed some of the same signs that I want people to really be aware of, only to, in my adult life, evolve into the same type of relationship. And so in both of those relationships, what I overlooked was these charismatic personalities that were very manipulative and very controlling. I didn't know that at the time, but the type of control that originally starts out where they really isolate you They really get you into a place or groom you into a place where they have you totally unto themselves. And that's really where it starts. That's where it starts. And so 
when it comes to relationships, you know, I wish we could walk around with like a little, you know, a little flags, you know, yellow flags and red flags, red you know. Flag on and every time we, yeah, every time something happens, I'll yellow flag. You need to pay attention to that. Uh, but but I think the thing of it is is that you know when we meet someone, let's if we you know yeah. we're gonna go keep it lit, right? Yeah. When we meet with some. The, the euphoria that we feel is it puts us in this space where we're so in love yes. that we just totally ignore any type of negative behavior, thoughts, words, or even evilness, as, a, yes. as you said. We don't pay attention to that. In fact, we embrace it as being, oh, endearing. You know, because if somebody says to you, uh, oh, you know, you don't need anybody else but me, how does that make you feel? You say, oh, that's so romantic. That is so romantic. Yeah, it is. Romantical. <laughs> and, and that's usually how we get caught up into that type of cycle where a person says, oh, you don't need to talk to anybody but me. You know, oh, I got you, you know, yeah. or, you know, I'm really the only one or I want your time. You know, oh, I'm just not spending enough time with you without recognizing that we're being slowly isolated and and we're being taken into a space where we're losing the relationships in our life. I uh, I, I grew up uh, a baby of five girls, kind of second generation. Uh, I was a little bit of a tomboy <laughs> and kind of an old spirit. And I would never guess you were a tomboy. Oh, I was. I was like a total tomboy. And, but I was now. girly girl. Well, you all girly you know, now. My so daddy I... had five girls, so, you know, we were raised to be tough, but we had uh, that – a surety of femininity being yeah. instilled in us, but we were strong in, in mind because my dad had five girls, right? And so, you know, I was like, I had a lot of brothers because I didn't grow up with boys. And so when I got married, one of the first areas that I ignored was the, the stripping away of all of my male relationships. Mm. And so I immediately lost like really good relationships and then the next layer came. Wait, 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 back up. So you said stripped away. Was it something that your ex-husband said, like, hey, you don't need to talk to any other males but me? You got it. Yeah. Okay. And so because I was in this state of euphoria, it's like, oh, you know, you're probably right. You know, you're that person for me now. But was your father around during that time? No, he was deceased. Okay. Then. It would have been a different scenario yeah. had my father still been living. <laughs> I was because, about to say. Yeah, because I was yeah. a daddy's girl. And so yeah. I talked to him about everything. But I think the thing of it is, is that um, I kind of let that one go. And then I was very involved with my sorority and other community activities. And then it was presented to me in such a way that it was judgmental because of his spiritual background. You know, oh, oh you're, you're caught up in that. Uh, I don't know if that's really godly. You might want to reconsider. Are you talking about your sorority? Sororities yeah. and other organizations that are historical in yeah. our community that I've always been a part of, that I was excited about being a part of. I was raised to be a part of those organizations to be able to provide service to our communities. Right. So then it was a stripping away of that. And you actually stopped uh, participating mm -hmm. I stopped participating, right. And, uh, you know, here I am marrying an up-and-coming young minister, you know, uh, in the area. And so I, he justified a lot with the Bible. It, we yeah. we got to go there. We got to yeah. talk about yeah. that because yeah. he, he really justified a lot. And so I, I was, I was listening. I grew up in the church, but in a mainstream denominational church. Yeah. So I was learning the word. So when he showed me, it made sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then the final piece that I didn't 
understand quite was the separation of the isolation from my actually my family. So if you can imagine five girls growing up in a household and my mom, that's six women, right? Yes. So my father's deceased. And so I talked to my sisters and mom almost every day. And, you know, that's five different conversations. And so in those conversations, it was like, oh, do you really need to talk to them quite as much? And so it kind of went from daily to every couple of days to weeks. And then finally, I would go months without talking to my family. Really? Yeah. And then they live locally? No. Okay. No. So you weren't seeing them nor talking to them? Wasn't seeing them, wasn't talking to them. And so they would call and leave. You know, we had uh, answer machines in. So they would call and they would leave messages, you know. But I I would always make excuses for it. Oh, we're so busy. And then I was in corporate America. I was a corporate um, woman. And so I had my sights set on, like, busting through the glass ceiling. So, I I mean, I was driven. So I traveled a lot internationally. I worked a lot. So I could make excuse for the fact that, oh, I was really busy. Oh, by the way, you know, I'm in love. Remember that, you know, kind of a thing. So, but back to my college boyfriend, the parallels of, of, of those same types of behaviors were present in both relationships. And a lot of times, because we don't talk about it and we don't acknowledge where we are, we continue that cycle. I was speaking with someone the other day and they said, you know, why is it that sometimes people just can't break the cycle? I said, because they refuse to become aware of where they really are. Mm. And so twice, and I like to reference that college relationship because they both were the same. The expectation for me to be there for them and for them alone was the expectation that they both placed upon me. And because I had never really had anybody sit down with me to talk to me about how to really be in a relationship. I mean, come on now. We're talking generationally. There's just some things that they didn't talk about. And, uh, and, and you're trying to learn from your friends and your sisters and, you know. The they're blind like, leading the blind. Yeah, and he's like, he's a good man, but I don't know now. Watch <laughs> him over here, you know. Or I, I'm kind of suspect. Or I found that a lot of people were even silent. They saw things. Yes, if they just, oh, ain't none of my business. I'm just. And they didn't you know, say a word. Yeah. You cannot imagine the conversation since then with people in the church, out of the church, in corporate, my best friends, people that probably are my frenemies, that I've had those conversations with people that have said, there were just some things that were disturbing to them in both relationships. So I didn't know how to break the pattern. So I actually married that same pattern of what I had grown accustomed to following. Well, and I fell right into it. Well, how did you end the relationship with the, the ex-boyfriend? Did you walk away or did he walk away? Well, interestingly enough, we broke up. I called myself walking away. He started stalking me. And then one day, one day... Now, this is a whole nother side story, but I have to tell it because I need somebody to really understand that you have to pay attention to this. Um, at, at the time, my parents were both living, and they went to get my grandmother in North Carolina. And he was, we were broken up, and he had been stalking me. And, and I, he came by the house, and I let him in the house. And I just, he said, no, you're not going to live without me. And I said, no, I am going to live without you. And he actually put his fist through my mama's wall. And so immediately I was like, you need to get out. I'm going to call the police. So then I called my sisters like, we got a hole in the wall. I need some help covering this up for mom and dad to get back home. And I never told the story for a long time. But that incident put so much fear in me. I had just graduated college, just had gotten a really, really good job. I had been working that job maybe five or six months. 
And I walked in one day after my parents returned and just said, I'm moving to Texas. My best friend and her husband were here. But that was the only way that I knew how to get away from, get it. Away from it. I didn't have the knowledge to, to, to really, or maybe the courage to sit down and talk to my parents about it in a way that I should have because things definitely would have had a different outcome. And so I left. I just left. And, and, and they were so dumbfounded because they did not understand why I would, you know, finish college, get a good job, things going well. I was saving up to buy a house as a young woman at, what, 23, 24 years yeah. old. And all of a sudden, I'm like, peace, I'm out. I'm gone. And so so you're, so I take it that when your parents came back, they never, y'all had the wall patched up before they even saw Oh, it. yeah, we got the wall patched up, like, real quick. And, and I, you know, told my sisters, you know, shh, we're never talking about this. And uh, and I never really talked about it for a long time. What would your dad have done? My father would have intervened in the situation. He would have made certain that uh, I was not in that relationship. He, but if you don't own up to it and acknowledge yeah. it, you can't get out of it. And so now, knowing that those were early signs of, you know, abuse – and, you know, that control, that manipulation, extreme, that's what I call it, that extreme control and manipulation where people, um, you know, manipulate you, you know, based on, you know, harsh words and, yeah. uh, you know, this demeanor that if you do anything outside of the scope of what uh, they want you to do, that you're going to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, that is abusive behavior. And I'd never had a discussion with anyone in my life about it. So when I come and I marry into that and we married quickly um and our relationship you know was um good and then we got married and then all of a sudden what I was experiencing got even more harsh because now it's like I got you okay and then not too long after that I started having you know kids I had three kids back to back I don't know what I was thinking about with that I was like bam 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 and uh but I love my kids. They are the most incredible kids in the world. But at the same time, I was working, having three kids. I'm a wife. You know, we're building, building ministry. And everything just took off. And I, I honestly some days think that it took off so quickly, I didn't even know how to get a real handle on it. So the things that were... Uh, said or done to me or the treatment or the behaviors, um, they became even more masked, if you yeah, will, yeah. because our life... You had stuff to cover. Yeah, we, we, life, life yeah. happened. And, and let me just say this, because I think it's important for people to know when they look at my story, because I get a lot of judgment and condemnation from this. You know, to this day, which is why I'm still in ministry, I believe we, we did a lot of good. Of course y'all did. But I also believe that because of the evilness in men's heart, that anyone, and, and, and we should never get, get, get high and mighty to where we think that we can't be the one that, that does the horrible, horrific thing. If any of us let our guards down, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he would like nothing more than to get us off track and to get us off course. So and tarnish I, your ministry. And tarnish our ministry. And, and ultimately, that's what ended up happening. And to this day... I'm still held um, in that place of condemnation by a lot of people, and uh, and I pray for them. The Bible says, "Pray for your enemies," and it, and it and it's hard because I've 
I've uh, allowed the Lord to use me over these years. Uh, see, I could have ran. You sure could have. One thing my mom and daddy taught me, they were like, you're going to stand up, and you, you're not running from anything. So I was taught to never run from anything, except I ran from the relationship. That's yeah. how I ended up yeah. in Texas. Yeah. Uh, and then I didn't have the courage to do it a second time. Uh, to get out of it because I was in a different space. You know, if you're in the world and in corporate, it ain't no big deal. Divorce, no, uh, they, they do that all the time. Yeah. I mean, I worked with people like last year, wait a minute, we'd be on business trips. Yeah. And I'm like, we're so married. Yeah. Wait a minute, this year you married this. So it's no big deal. But I felt like now that I was a, you know, a practicing believer and leading people that I had to really be a good example. And I believed with all of my heart that if I was a praying wife, because people say, oh, honey, you just need to pray, honey. I was praying. Yeah. yeah. But if a person themselves are not willing to accept what God wants to do in their life, we cannot be the At Holy all. Spirit and cause them to change in any kind of way. At all. And that's what the Bible talks about, uh, giving you over to a reprobate mind. You got it. And so that's exactly what happened with your ex-husband. So there's nothing you can do to change <laughs> the outcome of somebody like that. And it's just, it's the, it's the setup. You, you spoke to me one day about something that happened on the day of your um, wedding rehearsal. Oh yeah. Yeah. What so, happened? you know, we're talking about the warnings and the indicators that you need to look for. And I often get asked the question, which was is what I sign? think you asked me, was, was there a time when you thought you shouldn't have gotten married? And I can very clearly say yes. And that was the night of our uh, wedding rehearsal. And we had just finished rehearsal uh, in this beautiful edifice in Arkansas. And my um, reception, uh, rehearsal dinner was yeah. someplace else. And so mostly everybody was gone. And so I actually, um, I don't even know what started it. I, I could, that part I don't remember. Yeah. But what I do remember is that I was upset and I walked away. And he grabbed me. And so I ran into the women's restroom at this church. And he followed me in. And it was in that moment, that moment, that I vividly recall hearing don't go through through with this. And see, that's where we have to use wisdom because I, I, I don't think I was open enough and perhaps I was too prideful. We spent a lot of money. A lot of people would come in from a whole lot of different places when I knew in my heart that that was a moment I should have walked away. So God will give you indicators. He'll, don't ignore the signs. Yeah. And that night, I know I can mark the spot that I ignored the sign that God was giving me an out on that relationship. And so to people that are listening, you know, like mom and daddy used to tell me this, if it don't feel right, it probably ain't right. <laughs> if it's not something you, if it's something you know you shouldn't do, you probably shouldn't do it, right? <laughs> yeah. And if you can't make up your mind, don't do anything. That's true. And so That's for true. me, it didn't feel right. It wasn't right. And I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to go back a week and a half earlier because I, 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 God just brought that back to me. So a week and a half earlier, you know, when, we, when we're coming up, we all got somebody we just had a crazy crush on, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I had a crazy crush on this young man. And I went home to prepare for the wedding, and he died. And I was really close to the family, and, uh, and it really uh, 
was hard because we were such good friends and I had such this crazy crush on him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember calling him and saying, oh, my God, you know, my friend died. And he said, oh, you better not go to the funeral. And guess what? You did not go. I did not go. So, so, so when you're hearing these, I call them these, 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 um, these rumblings or these, it's, or for women, I think we all often refer to it as a woman's intuition. Yes. When you hear that unsettledness in your spirit, you need to really stop. I tell people all the time, you got to stop, drop and pray and really seek the Lord to see if it's something you need to move forward with. I'd forgotten about that until just right now. So what happened? Was this a guy that you used to date? Did you, was that a guy you were romantically involved with, or is that just a guy that you just had a crush on? Oh, we just had a crush on each other all our lives. And uh, in fact, he was one of the few few young men in our community my daddy liked. <laughs> and, uh, but we just had a, we had a crush on each other like all the time. So we played together, you know, just that young love. And, and so, uh, so your, your ex-husband, who was then your fiance, knew about this crush that you had? Well, he knew after he died because I, I was I was upset. I mean, it, this was like this was really hurtful because, you know, twenty something years old. You know, the, the times are a little different. I know you know a lot of the the young generation now they don't expect to see tomorrow. We grew up expecting to see until we were a hundred, yes. right? So to have a classmate or a friend or one of your neighborhood child. Mm-hmm. friends to die that was kind of devastating it's, it's, you know because yeah. what did your parents do they put you out the yeah. house said come on home for the street lights come on yeah we needed water we drank out the water hose so you, know? you were hanging out with them yeah all so we just day. hanging out so it really yeah. devastated me that he passed away so I was emotional so I called and I said hey one of my friends died and you know uh this is just really hard and you know the funeral's coming up and there was just no emotion just no, no, no um, empathy toward what I was feeling at the moment, other than you just do what I tell you to do. And so for women, especially, but also men, you know, you have to really look at that relationship and make that determination as to if it feels right and or not, and if it doesn't get some accountability in that. See, if I had brought somebody into that relationship, either one of them, Mm -hmm. I really think there could have been an intervention and and perhaps for, for all parties involved, but we're taught not to, you know, again, here we go. And I think it still applies today. What happens in our house house stays stays in in our house. house. You know, you don't go out here telling nobody our business. And sometimes you have to nowadays, especially tell business because, because you don't know what you're really dealing with. And so I think for me, um, it's really important that people understand that, I mean, when I talk about those were clear, distinct moments when I knew I should turn and walk away. Totally. I mean, it's like you and I sitting here right now. It was that clear. So that happened the week before you got married? The week before I got married. Mm-hmm. And then again on the night before I got married. So what did you look? You, you, you took those instances and called it what? He just loves me? Pretty much. He loves me, and and you can sense a little jealousy, but that jealousy is is a turn on. We can can get through this. It'll be okay. Yeah. Because oftentimes people view jealousy as as a turn on. You're like, oh, he's jealous. Oh, I like that. You know, you like the fact that he he don't want you 
another man looking at you or another man wanting you and all that. Yeah, because you feel exclusive. You still get flack or you still are condemned based upon what? Your choice to stay married to a guy like that or they think that you were just turning a blind eye to all the foolishness he was doing or what? Well, you know, I, I look at it this way. A lot of times when you have women especially that are married to high-profile men that have a lot of power, affluence, and influence, the woman oftentimes is accused of knowing, uh, even aiding and abetting to a certain yeah. degree, and being, um, what's the word I'm looking for, being criminalized as well yeah. along with that partner. But you have to understand that when, when anybody has the ability to lead a double life. Yeah. Yep. And there are people that lead double lives. And do an excellent job. And they are that. incredible at it, you know. And that's basically what I ended up living. I would say to him sometimes because of his behavior, because it got so erratic. Like It's like... Like, what's up with you? It's like you're leading a double life, not knowing that he, fact actually was. That he was. So it's very hurtful. And it almost brings me to tears when, you know, I, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you should have divorced him first off. Let me tell you something. When the building is burning, the first thing you want to do is grab the most important papers and people. Yep. I had, my building was burning. And so all I knew to do was to grab my children. Your children, yeah try to stabilize my congregation because they were hurting. I never did not try to extend to them, you know, uh, comfort and surround them. But when the building is burning, sometimes you forget, oh, by the way, there's a couple of other things that I should have done. And so I chose to, and people were telling me, you need to do this. But I had 19 attorneys at one time that were speaking into my ear. 19, 19 attorneys. attorneys. Yes, between criminal and civil and church. And I had family attorneys. 19 attorneys. And when you got that many people coming at you, it's it's kind of hard to hear when the building is burning that, oh, by the way, you need to stop and file for divorce. All I could think about was guarding those babies. Oh, they were saying file for divorce at what stage? When, while, while he's going to court? Um, probably all through, through the stages. Somebody somewhere was telling me that. But I, I didn't I didn't really know what I was dealing with until so you, so, I got in court. So you got a divorce at what point? After I was able to feel as though I got my kids stabilized, and so because they were my focus, the church was my focus, uh, building, making certain they were comforted and cared, because I'm a true shepherd. I, I truly cared for my people still. Like I say, there's not a day that goes by that I don't start praying for them, but I was trying to just stabilize the ship so it wouldn't tilt anymore. And so that meant focusing on my kids, focusing on the congregation, dealing with the media in my life for two years. And finally, when I got all of that stabilized in 2009, I was like, oh, I can do this. I filed in October of 2009, and he fought me from prison for two years. And so I wasn't, God has a sense of humor. I wasn't divorced until 2011. And it's interesting because I can remember the day We've been going back and forth. My attorney finally said, I don't, this is the bizarre divorce situation I've ever had to deal with, and then said these words to me, pay him off. Oh, now I'm mad. Now I'm a mad black woman yeah. because I'm like, 
what? I've gone through all of this. I've lost all this, and now i got to pay them off. And so a lot of people don't know that. I've had friends that had to pay their Mm -hmm. their spouses off. Yeah, it's like pay them off. So uh, I said, this is bad. It's never going to get better. Because he has no reason to stop fighting, you know. So if you're in jail and what, what, like. Right, you have nothing else to do. Yeah. But I lost even more because of having to go through this while trying to now raise these teenagers that are, you know, trying to go to college and all our money's gone. There's and dealing with there. the pain of losing their father and dealing with. Yeah, never having the opportunity to, to really stop and to catch my breath. And uh, February 14th, my attorneys called me of 2011, Valentine's Day, and said, how you doing today? I said, I'm doing real good. Getting ready to, you know, just got the kids to school, getting ready to get up and do whatever. And, uh, and she said, I want you to take a day for yourself. I just want you to relax, get back in bed. She said, you don't have to come to court. We're going to handle this. We're signing your papers today. On Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day. So I always say that the man that comes next got to come with it. Because <laughs> Valentine's Day, hey. <laughs> That was my day of independence, but at the same time, it was the day that it was Your divorce final. was final on Valentine's Day of 2011. Absolutely. And I, and I looked at it numerous times to verify, to verify, to verify, just to make, I said, God, you got a funny sense of humor. And uh, so at that time, uh, your ex-husband was in prison how long? Because he was indicted, what, 15 years ago. Uh, so 2005. So, so his trial and was conviction was 2006. Yes, yeah. and conviction he, 2006. He's actually been in since the end of 2005. All right, so you were still, quote-unquote, married to him for three years while he was had been found guilty and serving time in prison. Mm-hmm. And so that's what people criminalize you for. They said they felt like you were still loyal to him. Felt like I was still loyal to him, but what's shocking is that, and, and I wouldn't even state this if I did not know this to be true, I'm a truth seeker, and I've had people, as of even recent, that have had people contact them and ask them, why are they connected to that woman? Why do they even do anything on that property? And which a lot of times gives me the, the insight that, and, and I'm open to have a conversation with anybody, you know, I don't want people to be hurt. You know, I, I'm still a part of this community uh, an active part of this community, but there, it's been difficult at times because I've wanted to go in places. It took me a, a couple of years before I even went any place other than my home, my kids' activities, other church. Wow! And God finally one day it's just like that's n- I didn't call you to be this hermit. Yes. I, I called you for greater, and I need you to hold your head high, square your shoulders, fix yourself up. And I need you to walk with grace, strength, and dignity. Because you didn't do anything. And it is my daily prayer that when people see me, they don't demonize me or criminalize me. But instead, they see hope that they actually see, uh, as the Bible speaks about, that living epistle. Yes. That person really living the word out. Because I thought that's what we're supposed to do, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought we were supposed to be like 100% sold out <laughs> and that we were supposed to like really do this. And so, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm, I, I'm intentional about making certain that I posture myself in a way. Uh, sometimes the self-discipline and control that that took to uh, override self was difficult because I've had people almost spit in my face or just do things that were so, 
you know, negative that if I had just given a word, you know, it, it, it would have been a fight somewhere. And, uh, but, but I just thought, you know what, why not take the posture of this was a public uh, fall? So how much greater could my story be if it's a public resurrection? You better preach. You better preach. You better preach. And, and so that's how I live my life daily. Even when it comes to my children, you know, my goal was somebody asked me the other day, like, your children are like really great. How'd you do that? And I said, it's called parenting. <laughs> okay. It's, but the Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. And so now, and they're not perfect. And we had our, trust me, we had well, of our, our oh, incidents yeah. along the way. And, uh, but I, I taught them very early on that, first of all, you're not the sum total of your father's mistakes. God has a separate, unique identity for you. There's something that God has called you to do that only you can do. Nobody else can do this, but you have to do it. And so you got to be prepared. you got to be ready when the media calls to give an answer, to give a response, because you're not the sum total of that. Just like, you know, for black males, you know, when they have an incarcerated father, mm -hmm. they automatically throw them into the pile of, oh, yeah, they're going to end up just like they did. Oh, yeah, they're going to jail, too. I said, oh, the devil is a lie. My ch children shall not be statistics, you know? When I tell you that's what, um, that's the main reason why I adopted Armani, uh, whose father's in prison, and his sister came to the um, the adoption, trying not to get emotional about this, because she said, you have the opportunity to pretty much rewrite our history. You have the opportunity to change the green name. She said, our whole family has always been felons and convicts and all that. And she was so thankful to me that I didn't change the last name. Because, of course, when you adopt a kid, you can yeah. change the last name. And I said, no, I want to make a statement in the mm. trajectory of your family's lineage. And I said, I'm adopting you. I want you to keep your name as green. Because he asked me, we had this long conversation about that. I was like, what do you want your last name to be? And he was just like, I don't know, because I feel like, you know, since you're adopting me, that I don't want to dishonor you. And wow. I want, you know, last name or I just don't know. And I said, and so I just, after we kept going back and forth, I said, how do you feel about keeping your last name? And he was like, I mean, would you feel like I was doing it? I said, no. I said, you have an opportunity to rewrite your family's lineage. Wow. And, and his sister came up to me during the adoption and she was just like, she was just so grateful for that. And, and so that's the power that he has. And I, I watched how, God to leave a remnant, and that's who I feel like Armani is. He's a remnant that God has yes. placed on this earth Amen. to do great exploits, and I see it in them. I mean, I just I just see it in them, and just hearing you talk about not becoming a statistic is really, you know, touching me extremely deeply. Well, it's important that we don't write off um, future generations. The judge would not give me back my name. He looked at me and said, don't even ask for it. Why? And this is what he said. He said, your children have been traumatized, and they need an identity. Mm -mm -mm. They need a connection. And mm. so people say, that was the other thing. Why didn't you keep your name? Well, first of all, judge wouldn't give me back my name. <laughs> he told me, don't even ask. And when I thought about it, it, it really kept our family cohesive. And that's how I was able to parent, and that's how... I was able to have two Division One athletes and a Division Three athlete, and that's how they were able to uh, 
as you say, break that cycle. And your daughter is your daughter's in law school. Well, she's finished law school. Finished law and, school. And so hopefully, uh, passing the bar here real soon. Yeah. And uh, and and my and I'm so excited because my son uh, ended up with his oldest son ended up with his MBA, uh, but always wanted to teach. You know, and uh, taught you know, three years in middle school and just took on a position at South Oak Cliff. And uh, I'm super <laughs> excited. Uh, he's going to be uh, one of the head coordinators over there. It's going to be really great. And uh, my youngest son is still in pursuit of his uh, academics. But at the same time, when I look back over what making that choice to defy the enemy, to say it's not happening here, it, it's possible for anybody you know, what you did is so noble and, and, and the impact that Armani is going to make is going to be so powerful because there is a set destiny for him. Yes. And you literally have snatched him out of that. And, and, and uh, you know, what the enemy thought he had and you yeah. put him on a different path. Now he can do it with pride and now he can do it uh, with strength. And, and I feel like that's what I've you know, done for my kids sure as did. well. You know, sure did. So you don't have to look like what you're going through. So people also assume that I'm still at that, at that, that level. At that level where you're balling out of control. Right. But what, what I am is a woman of God who applies the principles of God in my everyday life, literally, and they work. And then I have the insight and the know-how, like the men of Issachar, understanding the times, knowing what to do. So I take advantage of opportunities or systems that are brought before me. Like, you know, when the church was going through and I was losing members, they were jumping ship every day. I had to come to a conclusion of where I was going to file bankruptcy for the church. And I had to do that. And then after my divorce, I had to personally file bankruptcy. So it, it gave me a moment to restructure. Okay. So right about the time I got the kids settled, I felt it was time for me to restructure after the divorce is done. But there was still something lingering. I didn't want to talk about the hard stuff. I know. I didn't yeah. want to talk about all the bad stuff. I yeah. didn't want to reveal uh, any more of my story. It took me nine months to write the book. And the book was entitled Suffering in Silence. Suffering in Silence, yeah. But the day that I released that book, I felt every shackle, every chain, every bit of manipulation, every bit of control that my ex-husband had on me drop. And I knew that day was my day of liberty and freedom. And so what year was that? In 2012. So you got divorced in 20, uh, 2011, and in 2012, you got free. I got free, yeah. And that has opened up more doors than I ever envisioned. It's allowed me opportunity into uh, some of the organizations that specifically work and with, women. And, yeah, with battered women, uh, domestic violence, even in the in the uh, prison initiative, because most times we always talk about all the you know programming for those that are inmates, but we never think about the family that's left, that's left behind and what they go through and how devastated they are. So it gives me to, an opportunity to talk about parenting through incarceration and what that looks like. And um, and I found that there were a lot more people for me than there were against me. But I was so fearful. But let me tell you, there's nothing like true freedom. There's nothing like feeling as though no one has control over you any longer. When now, I released the book, I decided, I think I'm ready, but I wasn't really ready. That was 2012. So it was 2014 when I finally gave my first interview after, you know, 10 years. And, uh, and I gave, gave it with Rebecca Lopez because I felt I could trust the yeah. integrity of yes. her to tell my story yeah, right. She's a dope woman. 
And I think the, the biggest mistake that I made in that is that after that interview, I did get calls and I was afraid to take the next step because if I recall correctly, I think Inside Edition call, uh, I didn't even know there was a show called Who to Bleep Bleep Did You Marry? It is a show called Who yeah. to Bleep Bleep. It's yeah. on uh, one of the networks. <laughs> yeah. And I got calls from other outlets. But that interview and that moment took so much out of me. That you weren't because, do it again. Yeah, I, I, I just, but I should have. I talked to some, some media people later, later, and they said, if you should have done any, you should have done that one. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, I might have missed that moment, but it'll come back around. But I'm, I'm so conscientious of, of everything that I pen, write, say, put on the Internet being used against me because, you know, media's, yeah, they, they can twist on. some stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I had stuff twisted, and I'm so conscientious of it, but I'm more concerned about my children and my children's children's children. So you think legacy like that. You think of your children's children's children. Absolutely. You say, what I say right now can affect my children's children's children. Absolutely. Absolutely. What you say. At what I say. Absolutely. Well, that's pretty doggone deep. I don't think people think that deeply. They don't, they don't when they make these little frivolous <laughs> Facebook posts and all this stuff. And well, they need to start thinking that way yeah. because we have to because of the importance of, of really who, who we become. You know, I love what you said about your son a moment ago because he has an opportunity to shift an entire generation yes. of legacy in that family. Yes. You know, what his sister said, you know, I have a, um, a sister who is a single parent, adopted three kids. And when I see the, the shift in my nieces and nephews' uh, legacy, what they came from and yeah. what they were destined to become according to that lineage and where they are now, it's powerful. And I think for us as a people... You know, here we are in this powerful moment in our world, right? Yeah. And if we don't grasp the importance of generations and legacy, we won't be able to break the cycle. And in order to break the cycle, you have to stop and you have to say, who am I? How did we get here? If these things are not lining up, then we have to shift it. My daddy used to tell me all the time, girl, when you leave out this house, remember whose daughter you are. That's it right there. That's it. So even now, both of my parents have transitioned, but I know they with the great cloud of witnesses. Yeah, so they, you got to remember who daughter you are. Yeah, and I have a responsibility when I want to cut up and act up. You know, I got God on one side and my parents and all the generations, our forefathers before of us. And, and let me tell you something else about legacy. It's so important when we think about the people that sacrificed everything. We, we, we know Jesus paid it all on the yeah. cross, but there are people that sacrificed everything so that we could have a better quality of life. How dare we sit down on them? How dare we not step up to our responsibility? That's, That's why I didn't run. That's why I raised my kids. I knew they needed me. Uh, there, there was a moment when... Because I was about to ask you, was it a moment where you wanted to just say, forget it? Yeah, there, there, there were several moments. Matter of fact, every now and then there's still moments, <laughs> if we can just be honest. Um, it. It, it, it's overwhelming sometimes, and, and in your humanity, you know, you're like, who's listening anyway? Who cares anyway? And it's always in those moments when I get to that space where somebody uh, direct message me or send me a text or uh, I'll run into somebody, and they remind me of what I'm called to do mm. and the necessity of what I was chosen to do. So as you've been going on this journey for the past what, 15 years, 
or even 16, that's when the trial actually happened. Have you had any, did you ever write any letters to the victims or did you have any moment where um, they've come to you and talked to you or sent you letters or anything like that? You know, I wish I could sit here and say that I had the courage to reach out, but I, I, I never did. I, I've, I framed it in ways when I've done interviews, um, but, but just to like go there the way that you put it, no. And, and I think it's never too late. That's what I was about to say. But I think it's probably one of my biggest um, regrets. Now, I've talked to a lot of people that it were damaged yeah. by this. I mean, I've had lunches and breakfasts and had letters sent. And, and um, I think one of the most touching times for me was when I actually did the interview with Rebecca Lopez on WFAA. And I got just bombarded with letters with so many people that said they better understood why I was not able to be the type of support that they had expected me to be. I think there was one occasion where I tried to say something and somebody said, well, you're a woman of God and you're a pastor, so you should conduct yourself in a different way. And I think for me as a woman in my humanity, it just shut me down. It just shut me down. And I thought, I'm going to do what I need to do. And I'm going to get on with life. I'm going to raise my kids. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to continue to make a difference in people's life, but I neglected to care for my own soul to that degree. That's good. That's good. One thing I definitely want to encourage you to do, um, and that's if you feel led, to just write a letter to them and, or, or tell them. That would be so freaking powerful. Um, that's very. Uh, that would that's, that's, be powerful. Um, Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. Because yeah. I just I – just, I just, it just spoke to me because what I went through this program at my church uh, a couple of years ago, um, well, it was about 2010, I think. It was called Celebrate Recovery. Oh, yeah, that's a good program. And CR, <laughs> what we had to do when we took our inventory, we had to go through the processes of who did we hurt, um, mm. who was hurt by indirectly by choices that we made. And some of those people, we were um, our mentor. Or our accountability partner would charge us with calling them, say, hey, I'm sorry when I did such, such, such to you. Sometimes if it was uh, an abusive situation, write a letter, burn it, whatnot. Um, or some other situation, just give it to God. But I always believe that speaking to that person provides such a powerful healing that, you know, that, you know, that that really, and I've had some conversations with some folks that I'm, I'm one of them dudes that if I did something to you, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going I'm I'm yeah. I'm I'm to talk to you. I'm going yeah. I'm I'm to tell you And, you know, up. when you're thoroughly healed, you, you, you really, and you're walking through that process, you, you really can do that. And it is vitally important that you do that. I think that's why, for me, it's always been very therapeutic to write or to, you know, make certain that I'm responsible for what I say, because I never want to further inflict any pain to anybody. And then I want people to be relatable to me because I want them to know my story and know that I'm here. I mean, I've had some conversations, you know, he, he was eventually known to have had a lot of affairs. Yeah. And, uh, and I've had, you know, coffee. With mistresses. With mistresses, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful. And, and I've forgiven. And so, and I did it for myself and I did it. For them, and I and how powerful was that to sit across the table from someone that slept with your husband, yeah. and and y'all exchange that and have this God moment 
It was, was liberating. Like? Yeah. I mean, you know, you mad at first. I mean, yeah. seriously, you mad at first, but it was it was liberating. It was very freeing because, you know, I don't want to be that, you know, um, bitter woman. You know, yes. I, I don't want to be that woman that's carrying baggage. You know, um, I get asked, asked all the time, well, why, why aren't you dating? You know, what? Well, I had a lot I had to work through. Yeah. And I had to raise my children. And I had a lot of layers that I had to work through because, you know, I don't want to be that damaged goods that gets passed on to someone else. And I think the thing is, is that all those, you know, moments in life that you have, like sitting across from someone, uh, whether you want to or not, I mean, and, 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 and he's right. There's some people we, you just don't need to sit down with. Yeah. But if you're able to sit down with people that are willing to sit down and have that conversation, it's very liberating. Nothing may come out of it. Yeah. But when people are authentically apologetic, you know, it, it does make a difference. And I think what it did for me was it just, it freed me. It released me from, like, I felt like I was at, that lady had all them bags tied to me <laughs> yeah. at one time. And I just felt like I just started dropping. Yeah. You know, a little, cutting off a little bags every now and then because I was able to work through things. And, uh, and you have to do that. It took uh, a lot of prayer. It took a lot of counseling. Talked about you being a victim, um, and a lot of people don't know unless they read the book and got an opportunity to catch you in the interview or whatnot. But when you say that you were a victim as well, speak specifically, what were you a victim of? Of domestic violence, of abuse. And it ranged from verbal to emotional to mental to ultimately physical abuse. And, and in your book, you speak about how he pretty much slapped you into the tub. Yeah, I walked in, uh, you know, in ministry, things were going real well. Always had a lot of people around. My children were little. I needed help, right? And we're traveling. I owned businesses and uh, walked in from, um, he was actually dismissed from the church during this time. And uh, would tell me every time, you know, nobody's going to listen to you preach and uh, nobody's going to show up. But I would go faithfully anyway because I, I just needed to get the gospel to people to encourage their hearts. So I walked in from a Bible study one night and probably maybe my children and maybe three or four other people in my house walked into our bathroom. And he thought I had been talking to people about our business and just backhanded me. And I fell in what happened to be a tub full of water, thank God, uh, Otherwise, it could have been, you know, where I hit my head or something. And, uh, and then said, don't worry about it. You know, don't come out the rest of the night. I got this. So I, I realized at that moment that I was in a dangerous situation. And I, 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 I tried to plan out how to run, but I didn't know where to go. That's why uh, two things, two mistakes I made. I, didn't, I just didn't run. I, didn't, I never made a phone call to police. So even to this day, um, upon him getting upon out, upon him being released, I have to wait until an incident in order to even get a restraining order because I was that woman who never made the call. So I tell people all the time that if you're going through this and you need protection, need documentation. you have to have documentation. And I didn't. So I would plan out in my mind. I tell people all the time, I, I think I wrote it in a book this way. I would back the, the moving van up to the house, you know, and I'd be gone. But at that time, uh, we were in a space where literally even when we got places internationally and got off planes people knew who we were yeah. so I didn't know where to go or where to start now again that's a moment I could have trusted my family because they would have come through and interestingly enough uh, now that my my children are uh, of a mature age uh, we had a 
family meeting recently, and they looked at me. Lord, it's going to bring me to tears again. And I said, Mom, it's time for you to live. Mm. Yeah. Say, job well done. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, job well done. It's time for you to enjoy life. It's time for you to live. You sacrifice for us and for everybody else. And to sit there and to hear that from my adult children, they shall call her blessed. That was my moment of blessedness, knowing that I had done well. And had I chosen differently, this would not be the outcome. But I proudly, boldly sit here today and say that I'm so glad that I stayed the course, that I stayed in the cut, that I didn't throw in the towel, that I didn't give up or give in, that I didn't listen to the naysayers, that I didn't do what sometimes, you know, good intentional people encourage do you to do what they encourage me to do. So are you dating now? Um. Hmm. Inquiring minds would like to know, yeah, right? You know, I always, you know, I always <laughs> like to ask you a question. I call you and be like, "Hey, what's up? What's uh, up?" I'm. It's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> That's a Facebook status. It's complicated. No, I. Um, I'm. I'm preparing myself for making that shift to get back to the life that I know I need to live, and I'm excited about having a future partner. Would you be married? Oh, absolutely. Marriage was great, man. It was wonderful if you do it right, you know. So, yeah. So, so you're open to being married? I'm open to being married. Yeah, I'm not bitter. I'm not angry about any of that. Um, I, I just has to be the right one that gets through my committee. <laughs> how, many, how many people on this committee? Um, about five. About five mm-hmm. people. About five people, yeah. And my kids. So that makes it, you know, about eight. And then if you add the whole family to it, like, you know, my, whole, my sisters, you know. Uh, do your kids... You know, throughout this whole period, over this 16-year period, have they been encouraged you to date? You know, we, my kids brought up something interesting. (laughs) They told me, Mom, you know, you never allowed us to date. And I was like, what are you talking about? What do you mean I didn't allow you to date? They said, you always told us God first, academic second, and athletics third. And those are your priorities. I never said you couldn't date. So I think we've been driven, uh, the whole family has been driven (laughs) over the last number of years because, you know, when you lose everything, and that's why I I want to encourage somebody, you don't have to have anything, okay? I lost everything. I came from not much, you know, lost everything. I I recognize if I had God in my mind, I could build it again. So, Renee, you're about to transition into a new season of your life. You're going to reemerge on August the 8th as... Something new, something rebirth. Um, why is that important? It's important because I finally realized that it's time for me to live again. It's important because I'm really embracing who I was before and what God put in me. The half hasn't even been shared with the world. And so I'm finally at that place of comfort and excited about being able to frame it in a way that I can help others to live the ultimate life as overcomers, as dominators, enforcers, as champions, as those that really recognize that, you know what, I'm chosen for this. Well, the world is really looking forward to it. I believe that God has deposited such greatness inside of you that 
will change the trajectory of anybody who get a chance to just listen to you and just soak in all your wisdom and knowledge. And you've been anointed for this thing. And that's what's so dope about it is that when you, you can't go through what you've gone through without getting an anointing over that thing. And so you have been anointed over this and uh, I thank God for you. And so on August the 8th, she will reemerge as something greater, something doper. And uh, we're excited about it. We're totally excited about it. Uh, Renee, that's what I'm going to call you right now. Okay. <laughs> um, I know you're a doctor. I that's, know my, you're, that's my birth name. That's your birth name. I know yeah. you're an author. Uh, make sure that you go pick up her books. You guys, plenty of books. Just go on Amazon and just put her name in. Um, well, the, the Google name is Renee Fowler Hornbuckle, and they'll pull up all your books on there, right? That's correct. And so, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that because I talk too much and I'm telling what your, <laughs> the emergency is. So well. they just come check that out. Any last words before we sign off? Well, I just want to let somebody know that might be struggling with a relationship, a business, uh, just through the times in which we're living in. That, you know, there's always greater on the other side. You just have to consciously make up in your mind that it's it's like boxing. You know, yes. boxers get knocked down all the time. And when they get knocked down, most of the time people don't think that they're going to get back up again. But they start that count on them. And they land there and they catch their breath. So catch your breath in the season. Hear what God's saying. Because before the bell rings, you need to get back up again. It's greater for you to do. Thank you so much, Sister Renee, Pastor Renee, <laughs> Dr. Renee, and thank you for joining us on the Dear Future Wifey Podcast. Give it up for y'all. Man, I'm just amazed by the fortitude that some people have to weather their storms. I mean, when I saw this story in the news 16 years ago, I was always curious about it and I always wanted to find out more about it and find out you know, this this woman, this wife, this first lady, what was going on in her mind through this whole ordeal. Definitely, I would love to just speak to the trauma of the victims that encountered Renee's ex-husband. You know, I just, I mean, my heart goes out to you. I pray that you have gotten the healing necessary to overcome that situation and you're empowered by it to the point that you're using this as a platform to minister to other victims of rape. Yeah. So God bless y'all for real. Dear future wifey, it breaks my heart knowing the possible trauma you've endured on your journey to me. Don't waste any more time with men hoping their red flags stop waving. If you're currently in a dead-end relationship, take the necessary steps to RIP it and begin the healing process. I want you to look into my eyes the first time we meet and see safety. I want to be your place of peace. Let's compete on who can love the other the most. You are amazing. Your future hubby. Thank you for listening to the Dear Future Wifey podcast. Remember, be lit. Live intentionally and transparently and don't stop loving. Make sure to subscribe to our Dear Future Wifey YouTube channel. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We welcome your support. Simply share our podcast with your friends and family.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.